Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Projectile Fireside Chat. I'm your host Marcel, and today's guest needs no introduction, as his long list of achievements speak for themselves. Best Mega Man 2 player in his remote childhood neighborhood, conqueror of all Dark Souls games with only a handful of controllers smashed in anger. Once he beat three players in Street Fighter Online in a row before retiring his career. Welcome, Richard Miller. It is an honor to have you on the show today. So yeah, uh, welcome back everybody to a a bit different format this week. Very uh, special episode. I'm still Marcel. I am here with Richard. Why with Richard. I said my own name. Oh, should I have done that? Yeah, I think you gotta I think you gotta do the intro, otherwise. You I wanna would... start over? No. Okay. And uh, yeah, we should probably explain why the others are not here. So no, they um, betrayed us. Basti is not here because he's celebrating outbreak day. Oh, uh, yeah. He mm-hmm. has fallen sick with what is it called? A cordyceps fungus? And which one's this? In The Last of Us. Jeez. September 26th is Outbreak Day in The Last of Us. Basti world. would be a clicker. Okay, so Basti's clicking away in bed. Clicking out, clicking away. Hopefully hearing this will give him strength. Stay strong. Hashtag thoughts and prayers for Basti. Uh, Matt has, in penance for his previous aggressions against Remedy and Alan Wake, been chained to a PC where he will now have to play those games at Infinium until, you know, further notice. He just doesn't learn. Oh, he will learn. He just doesn't learn. He says something like, why do they have Duracell commercials in Alan Wake? And then, nope, Sam Lake chains him to a desk and makes a funny face. The face. Do the face, Sam. So, yeah, Yeah. uh, we are just the two of us today. Just hanging out. Just the two of us. Just building castles in the sky. Yeah, and we are, uh, but we're we're tackling a a very, you know, like it's, it's fluffy, just the two of us, but we're tackling a very heavy topic today, right, Richard? That's right. What are we talking about? Money. We're talking about uh, monetization in video games uh, in a blatant effort to get more downloads from the likes of Bobby Kotick. Stacking paper for Bobby. Yes. And uh, so, yeah. Where do you st- where do you, where do you even start on a topic like that? You know, monetization is, is is rough because it's it's inevitable and it's so bizarre for video games to me. Like 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 I can't think. I mean, you know, movie tickets are famous for getting kind of more expensive. Holy shit, yeah. Right? Like uh like even even the um, even home movies get get a little more expensive. Uh TV is going through its its whole renaissance of payment and how that happens. So like uh but video games have remained mostly up until up until pretty recently kind of constant in, in the in yeah. the in the famous like 60 to 70 Dollar euro currency um, equivalent price range since since I was a kid, you know. It actually it felt like it went a little bit down for a while. A, a little bit, right? Like, um, so I started gaming on PC in '97. Okay, but I, I knew like before that some of my friends were like, "Hey, you no, know, my dad just bought Wing Commander Four or something." Right, and it was like 120 Deutsche Mark back then, which translates to 60 uh, to 60 euros, roughly. You know? Yeah. And um, and then we started playing. You know, it seemed like most the, the big PC releases were between sixty nine and a hundred mm-hmm. uh, Deutsche Mark. So that's thirty five to fifty euros. And um, yeah, 
So, you know, like it, it went down a little bit, like as PC gaming got more widespread, late 90s. And then I think when, when did prices go up? It was with the, with the HD generation, right? Like with, with Xbox 360 and PS3 in the US, it went from 50 dollars to 60 dollars and then it stayed right. there until and it stayed stay there for, it's, a, for a while it's, it's still yeah. there in theory right? well they, they had it and there was little bumps like that in the states too i mean people will tell you when when they were buying uh um even like pre, pre-nintendo stuff like like there was some atari stuff that would pop out for like 80 bucks 90 bucks and it was just like what, you, what is going on but i mean that was that was uh that was i think the exception and um and also yeah but i mean like i think i think the boxed product game is is a staple that a lot of gamers that have, that have come up when you had to buy them as box products, you know, like there, there, there is a price point there that people know and uh, and that is accepted to be the norm. I mean, like often to to almost a detriment, you know, you release a forty dollar game nowadays and people are like, ah, that's a that's a budget title. Oh, yeah, 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 you know, you uh, put out you put out a indie game and uh, it's it's I mean it's now it's creeping up to be a little more acceptable at, at thirty, but uh, back in the day if it was above, I mean, what was um. What was like, I think Braid was the first one. It was like, <laughs> like fifty bucks exactly. on, on Xbox exactly. Live I remember, Arcade. yeah, people freaking out over Braid for because it was summer of summer of live, right? And like uh, like yeah, every game like that would come out would be five to eight bucks, and they were yeah. like, "No, we'd like fifteen, please." And it was like riotous, you know. So when these when these common price points get challenged a little bit, you see a lot of backlash, and I think that sort of thing um, is is one of the founding principles of of extra monetization. Is like that these price points are so set in a way that people expect them, and I think that's that's probably one of the reasons why we're looking at uh, all these additional uh, ways to, for games to make money. Nowadays. I remember uh, the first time I thought to myself, you know, I, as a young innocent, a budding coming up gamer, I learned that EA is the devil. <laughs> was when uh, Command and Conquer uh, Two, yeah. or as it was called in Germany, yeah. Command and Conquer Three. Which was super funny later on when there was a real Command and Conquer three and Germany was like, well, fuck. Um, it was uh, it was ninety nine Deutsche Mark, so you know, like uh, okay. 50, 50 euros, and uh, there were these rumors in in German gaming media that um, EA had strongly, heavily implied to to um, retailers that if they go lower than ninety nine. Then maybe the next big EA release would not arrive with them on time for yeah, it. Maybe maybe it's not there on launch day. It'd be a shame if something it, happened. Yeah, it, exactly, to that it was pretty much like that. So um, <laughs> and I remember that was the first time. Like, holy shit, these people are so greedy. That's like thirty euro. That's like, sorry, that's like fifteen euro more than Starcraft costs. Yeah, I think. I think and um, yeah, so back then there was like this this broader price range of of PC games, and later on, really, yeah, as you said, like it's it's just like to use my favorite term, it's the baseline, right? Sixty dollars. And for PC, for a while, it was still cheaper. Like, it was still 50. Yeah, so for, for PC, and, yeah, and that was one of the things. Later, yeah. was, I think, like, Call of Duty or so maybe was some of the first games where it were, like, 60 bucks. I think before the, the kind of later, the, the recent, more recent PC renaissance, like, yeah, you'd almost expect it to be 10 bucks cheaper because, like, oh, it's the PC version. Yeah, yeah, there was, like, you don't have to pay any fees to console manufacturers. Right. There's no reason for you to be this greedy. Exactly, exactly. And, and it's, those, it's those rationales that kind of make things, make things a little odd. I think for me, I, did, I didn't... Uh, because like yeah, while I was I might have been gaming um, when I was a kid, like uh, that was more beg your parents and let them deal with the the, the price range. But like um, I, I I seem to remember like thinking back now that the first time like monetization got really called into question uh, was was in the 360 era, like the whole the whole concept like was seemed to be 
like obviously it was very successful. I think they kind of brought indie to uh, two consoles in a way that, uh, that 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 just hadn't happened before that, or like like made smaller. Uh, not titles not more even accessible. really on the PC at that time. Exactly. I, yeah. I, I strongly think that like the really the the what kicked indie development the overdrive is is Xbox Live Arcade. Summer like of Arcade the start, one. They were yeah. super super pushing promoting that. Summer of Arcade one. I remember being a huge deal, and I bought I bought it. You'd have to look up like what those games were, but I bought. A few of them. Like, I mean, that was just a just a neat concept to, to grab a game for me that was like ten bucks. But like, yeah, ever, ever since the beginning of that, like the whole the whole Microsoft points thing um, was was contested. Uh, God knows we've talked about horse armor on this show. That was huge. Yeah. And just just as as fifteen dollar uh, map packs for uh, Ghost Recon Advanced Warfare. Like, what was Advanced was Warfighter? Yeah, it was Advanced Warfighter. Warfighter. Got to be a good Warfighter. Gotta be a guy that fights the worst. <laughs> I should also that this is probably a good opportunity to say that I'm legally required to point out that everything we say on this episode specifically are just our own opinions. Just our own opinions. They don't represent any you know, like King Arthur like none none of my future, present or past employers slash yeah. kings. And um Yeah. Yeah, keep the disclaimer game strong, because yeah, because I mean, this stuff is is also subjective for us. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting. It puts us in an interesting. We, we we talked before, and if we should take different roles on this one. Yeah, you as the frothing at the mouth, uh, cheapskate gamer, and me as the reason <laughs> as the reasonable businessman. <laughs> oh man, learning learning from that uh, from that apex marketing strategy. Um, that's not bad. Yeah. So, so I mean, the, Marcel hit on a good point there. Like, we're going to talk about this pretty, pretty uh, openly. Um, I do tend to like, even when we're having conversations that aren't part of a podcast, like I tend to come across a little more um, frothy uh, consumer advocate sort of thing. And uh, and uh, Marcel often, oftentimes, is the voice of of you know, it, it, this this is an industry and a business, and it's about doing this the right way, not necessarily that. All of this is the wrong way. So yeah, all this stuff we're about to get into, just just our opinions. Um, and probably our ill-informed opinions that we just kind of shoot off the cuff with. But um, yeah, pro- we probably, I mean, so you you work in game production. Yeah. I work in marketing. So right. you know, we probably also have different ways of looking at it because it, it, it affects our jobs very differently. Sure, like, sure, like, sure. You know, uh, like the, uh, for, for, for the people actually working on the games, oftentimes the more stuff you want to do in monetization is the more releases you have to work on, like... It's not so great on the marketing side. You're like, man, well, this also, is amazing. I've, I have this new stuff to talk about all the time. Yeah. It's new stuff to make cool visual assets, trailer screenshots, where it's fantastic. And obviously it makes money. So, you know, it's, it affects different people working in games very, very differently. Absolutely. And I think, I think what we'll probably get into in, in, in another episode, because it, it takes a lot of time to get into in depth. But, uh, but what I've, what I've noticed very much among production teams is, is that they are, they are weary of that stuff. I don't think anybody working on something wants to go through a lot of the conversations that come with monetization. You know, they want you to, they want to, they want people to focus on their, on their game, on their project. And uh, anytime somebody's like, oh, what, what is the DLC going to look like? What is the, what is the loot uh, practice going to be? Like when, when people get into that, they, they tend to be a little more weary of it. Um, it's like having to look, look at stuff like your, uh, was it called in English? Like you know, when you taking care of like, so you still have money when you're old. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Your, like, your your retirement fund. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's like it's, it's like you know, but nobody wants to talk about that. Like it's not a fun thing to do. Sure. But also, it's it's essentially you know you have to do it. Exactly. So, like that's um, that's one of the the aspects that I think, especially when you when you hear a lot of of industry coverage. I mean, because they're not by people in the industry. Like, like there is that. I mean, game games journalism, which it's about ethics. 
But uh, games journalism like kind of got 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 started with the whole consumer protection thing, where you couldn't read the back of a box. You know, all you had was the back of the box. You didn't have the information out there. And they were there to tell you what the what the bad games are, what the good games are to help yeah, you save like your sixty stay, bucks. Stay so, away from you; it isn't worth your exactly. Money and I think right? I think those, those foundations kind of carry through in a lot of the conversations where it's like it's like well, you know th- these guys are trying to sell you something. You should be weary of that, whether you buy it or not. You know, you start from a position of that. And I think from the from an industry standpoint, it's obviously about yeah. Uh, first and foremost, we want to make uh, fun games, good good good. Uh, Good pieces of art that people can appreciate and, and find important, but also but you want to be able to keep making exactly. Them. Yeah, you want to be able to do that again uh, in a year, and I, I do think that that's that's a little bit more of a mature balance. I mean, it would be great to to be able to not do that sometimes, but um, but I mean, the reality is, uh, in order to get the the giant projects that uh, that seem to be very popular, I mean, this stuff is a necessity. So it, it's. I think from from my point of view, it's really about making that as as painless and as high value as you can. I mean, that would be the goal. It's like, yeah, you want to you want to offer something, um, but you want it to not detract from your your current project. You don't want it to um, to seem uh, integral. You know, like uh, like you're tacking on something. I mean, that was that that's something that that will come up for a couple of projects. But like, and then to make it um, to make it a little. You basically, you just don't want to. You don't want to come across as a person that's trying to take advantage of somebody. Like you want to, you want to offer something extra for fans and not take advantage of somebody. And I think that's a tough, tough, tough line to walk sometimes with a lot of mistakes. You know? So yeah, maybe uh, we should like look a little bit like at, at the history of stuff, like chron- semi chronologically. We're not claiming to be one hundred percent right on this or to be gaming historians. Um, I guess during during my time of gaming, really the first big shakeup was free to play, yeah, which started uh, in, in in Korea with Nexon, like their games, and I, I remember at the start, like when the first whispers, you know, like a free to play of the concept uh, drifted over to the West, it was always this association, like, you know, that's that's shitty games, right? Sure, nobody would make a good game. And then give it away for free. So anything that's free to play, I think still to this day for a lot of people, there's a stigma of like, you know, that that must be really shit. <laughs> yeah, and, well, yeah um, and still, still so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a there's there's a few that buck that trend, but I think there are, there are a few and far between. Absolutely, I think uh, you know some so some of some of today's biggest games, obviously, are yeah. free to play. You have League of Legends. League of Legends they, free to play. Yeah. What they said the other day that they still, I think, every day hits. Eight million concurrent players, sure, or something like that. That's ten years sure. after release, so that is ginormous. Yeah, um, there's yeah. obviously Dota still big. CS:GO is is now free to play. Fortnite, Fortnite is uh, so. I mean, is, it, game is, game. is the ranking still the same? Like League is still the biggest game. Yeah, League is the biggest PC game, I believe. The biggest game. Gotta be Fortnite, right? Fortnite or Minecraft. Minecraft said they have, I think, like every month. Oh yeah, yeah, 112 Minecraft. million players or something. But like if that. you if you dissect the probably the top the top five most popular games, I bet a good there's good representation for free to play there. Uh, uh, they're probably all free to play. Yeah. Right? Well, Minecraft, Minecraft, you got to pay for it. Right? True, you're right. Yeah. So sorry. So yeah, then yeah. It's, uh, then I would assume it's four free to play games and one Minecraft. <laughs> I did the same thing. Like I was like Overwatch free to play. Like wait, nope, nope. Um, nope. But yeah, like you're right. So I think I think free to play. Um, was was a big industry shakeup, and that was that was like because we're going chronologically, and I know we touched on indie games, but that was kind of before the the indie resurgence, right? 
maybe I'd say it was like more or less at the same time. So right. the Xbox 360, if I had to guess when it came oh, out. No. No, where's, my, this where's, my, where's my Google machine? Um, uh, I think it came out December 6, 2005, I believe. But when was the first Summer of Arcade? Because Live Arcade wasn't there when it launched, 2007 right? 2007, maybe? I don't think they had it in the first year already. So 2007 or 2008, I would say, was when it really the... What was your guess for Xbox release? 360. Um... Barrel no, roll. December Drum roll. No, it's it's the same as um, November twenty second, two thousand five. That's embarrassingly. This that's ridiculous. I look. I I was there. I lined up in the shop <laughs> in front of a shop in the morning to go there with my brothers to pick up two of them. Yeah. Yeah. I, there was also a uh, very, very nice, uh, also standing queue with us was the nice lady that always served me a Big Macs at McDonald's. She needed that. She was also picking up a 360, but well, I think it was for a boyfriend. And she had to get Sneak King. You know, <laughs> had to research the competition. Yeah, Sneak King was the one later. Why that's a free-to-play game. Well, no, that it came with a value game. meal, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, like the, the, the free-to-play and indie game kind of thing... I think uh, I think you're right. I think that was the first signs of shakeups in in game monetization. Yeah, and then, it was the idea of like, hey, there are ways that you can monetize a game that are not sixty bucks. Yeah. Um, obviously, for indies, important because you know, arguably, and obviously, value is always you know, it's it's inherently a subjective thing. What's valuable to somebody or not? Right. Um, not everybody would want to spend ten or twenty bucks on what is essentially a fancy emblem in Destiny Two. Some um, people. Some people would. Uh, but uh, so yeah, like that was obviously for indies on on the lower, and there was the idea of like, hey, you know, I can I can now through digital, mm-hmm. I don't have to go through to a publisher who will take a lot of my money to press a disc, all all of those added costs. I can I can release a game. Ideally, if I'm doing it with a publisher, I get seventy yeah. percent of of what that game makes directly myself. Yeah, and and these different price points price points came out. You know, as you said, like it started with was like. Like five euros was four hundred points, right? Yeah, and eight hundred points was ten euros. Well, I mean, I was buying it in bucks. In, in bucks. yeah, 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 yeah. 10, ten bucks was was eight hundred points. I remember that. And so no, 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 that was was a thousand. What do you mean? No, no, no. Uh, like uh, so, twelve thousand points was fifteen euros. Eight hundred oh, points was ten, and four hundred yeah. was yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. eight hundred was ten. Yeah, and then. Uh, and then, and then, um, those, getting those was always the the argument of like, well, you know, what if a, what if a game? You'd always be, yeah, yeah, you'd yeah. always be needing to top up over what you were going to purchase. Yeah, and then it started that initially, like a lot of these indie games were were ten bucks. Yeah, as you said, then Braid was one of the early, you know, uh, bullish ones. Uh, most bucks. of my, I remember so that, and that's that's where a lot of this feedback came from because I remember most of these games being six hundred points. So if you wanted two games, like you'd have to. You'd have to get twenty bucks or like a weird fifteen bucks when you're trying to spend twelve dollars. Mm. Um, so there was there was that, but yeah, Braid was the one that kind of broke it out. And I'm not even sure do they they don't even really differentiate that anymore. There's no XBLA because I haven't had a I haven't had an Xbox since 360. No, there is there is uh, ID at Xbox, which is like indie dev at Xbox. Right. That they, but like that's more like a promotional thing. These days, it's just like you know, because yeah, back then like it, it had different rules. Like XBLA games could only have two hundred gamer score instead of a thousand. They could only have a certain file size. Yep, the file size. I remember the file like size certain games people, yeah. could not come out because right. the file size was too big. And it started with like something like two hundred megabytes. Yeah, they, they put really a lot of, really and they were the ones that enforced uh, enforced demos first, I believe. Yes. Yeah. True. Yeah. Every game had to have a demo. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, which did something for it. Like, like you'll you'll see the same thing. I think it was interesting about the about the Apple Arcade stuff that you showed me because it seems to be a a the 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 similarities between Apple Arcade and XBLA is like they are both conscientious efforts to show a community that cheaper games or free games or however they are that are previously stigmatized can be fun and good and like curated and yeah. You but know. we'll we'll get to subs later. Yeah, yeah. Subway, I mean. No, we're not we're going, going to Subway later. Oh, no! <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, free-to-play was the thing, right? And yeah. um, then all these games came out, and quickly there was this separation. Like, these two ideas of, like, either a free-to-play game is pay-to-win. Right. As in, you can buy any any tangible in-game benefit. You know, you can buy better weapons, you can buy whatever. Yeah. And it was just a purely cosmetic stuff. Sure. Um, and really, that goes back to what you said earlier. You know, like, with, with monetization, ideally, you want to... Offer fans something that they want, right? But you should like it should never feel forced. Like as soon as you have that thing where people feel forced to spend yeah. money to continue playing the game, mm-hmm. that's very thin ice. Like for for example, that's that's not something I as a player support. Like uh, I've spent probably a couple hundred bucks on League of Legends over the past sure. ten years. Wow! And I don't feel bad at all because I played like. I think like five thousand games or something. Do of you that. do you have a like? I know it's a, a completely. I have three hundred twenty skins, I believe, or something like that. That's in that game. a lot. Well, I mean, for so how much did you say you spent? I don't know. If you had to guess, do you feel uh, not? If you don't feel comfortable sharing that number, I'll just assume it's really large. I, I honestly, I don't know. I would okay. say probably five, six, seven hundred, something like that. Yeah, but, but I mean, over it, ten years, it, you know, like yeah, over so ten, 10 years, years and there were gameplay. there were times when I almost exclusively played League of Legends so I absolutely feel I got great value from it. Sure, game. I mean no, absolutely. No, no I mean, like like, like like uh like Call of Duty fans, you know, or 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 sports games fans. Like people that people that buy a yearly edition every year and I'm not yeah, knocking yeah, yeah. that. I'm really yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah, trying yeah. to say that disparagingly, but I'm saying like that is they are spending more than you are on League. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the that's the funny thing when I hear people talk with like cuz people's especially the kind of people that I that I tend to to, to I guess attract with my with my um, honorous stench, like you know, that, that'll make them, their eyes bulge. You, you spent that much on League of Legends, and it's like, well, yeah, but I mean, you know, they play play something for a decade. And it's the same thing for a lot of uh, a lot of WoW players. There are a lot of long-standing games like that. Like I can see how how the yeah, money I mean, you put if, in. If there. you break down the price to to what you spend per hour, like especially compared to some like yeah. cinema, like these the, days, like if in Frankfurt I want to go to the cinema with my girlfriend, yeah. I'm paying as much for a two-hour movie as I could get uh, Destiny 2 Shadowkeep. It's just coming out next week. <laughs> this, it was smooth, right? This podcast really sponsored smooth. by... Uh, this, no, it was This it was podcast good. sponsored by Marcel's addiction to Shadow uh, to Destiny 2. I, I, mine, mine's also bad. I had to take a vacation to get away from it. But uh, either way... Um, like, like I was, I was gonna say, like the the time to value proposition is something I always, I always do, and I know it's 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 not a universal rule. Like there can obviously sure, be yeah, everybody is fantastic very, short I, games. I, I try but, not, to, I, actually, I try not to use that. Yeah. Like, um, there's there's games that I, uh, you know, I spent sixty bucks or whatever the equivalent was for for a full price retail game at a time mm-hmm. that I finished in eight or nine or ten hours and I was super happy with. And, yeah, yeah um, absolutely. Other times, you know, you, you play games where you think. This was a free-to-play game. I'm trying, and like the time I used, I had to like I spent downloading it was a waste. Like this is horrible. So you know, it, it is yeah. really hard to. Yeah. And uh, I, I normally I would not encourage people to do that. Mm-hmm. Like obviously, sometimes you know, for for yourself, if you're like budgeting or so, it, it would make sense to see how can I spend, how can I get the most entertainment for my money. Sure. But like really, that whole like people trying to ascribe a certain dollar value to to an hour of playtime also I find that a bit weird because you know it's. I mean, it's na- I think it's a natural thing that you do. 
uh, sometimes, but uh, and I find myself guilty of it as well. Like I do the whole dollar an hour thing occasionally, and you know, a lot of times it seems to work out. I think uh, what was the game where I started that it was it was one of the No Man's Sky updates where like um, they had they had put a bunch of stuff in, and then I got it for like twenty bucks on a sale, um, and I played that thing for like twenty five, twenty six hours, and I was like, you know, yeah, it's not it's not fantastic, but I mean, I dragged. I didn't. I didn't feel like I had a bad time for my for my twenty five, twenty six hours uh, in that game. You know, so it's like obviously I must be getting a value out of it. And that, I mean, that's another interesting monetization point because they haven't charged for anything past the original game. Hmm. Yeah. Then then uh, later, like also in the three sixty generation, really the the specter of um, I, I should say like of industrialized uh, second hand games, used games yeah. became a problem. So you know, we know we're obviously not talking about. Somebody selling their their game privately on eBay, you know, to another. Yeah. Like we're talking about GameStop sure. and how they really. That's what I'm saying. Industrialized. They they tried way harder at a point to sell used games than new copies. Oh yeah, yeah. And it was like uh, it was it was disgusting. Like if you look at like, hey, here's a used copy that looks like somebody wiped, you know, like the cat's toilet with. Uh, and but it's it's one euro one euro fifty cheaper than than the, the pristine sealed copy next to it. So you know that yeah. stuff like that. And uh, then the industry tried to combat that. And one of the things it was very short lived. I just remembered it the other day when we talked yeah. about doing this topic. I had forgotten completely. Was the online pass? Remember right, that? right. Uh, the ten dollars online like, pass. It was like so you can buy this game uh, used. Yeah. But um, if, if you buy it new, there's a one-time code that you use on Xbox Live or PlayStation mm-hmm. Network to enable the online functionality. And if you bought it used and you want to play multiplayer, you had to buy that pass for $10 digitally. Yeah. That was a bit of a strange concept, wasn't it? It was. It was. It, it, you're right. I remember the, there, there being a... It was the height of GameStop. And we all know that I think in the long that run... That coming to an end. Yeah, that GameStop did not win. But uh, and I, I, it's hard to feel bad because I do remember on on two separate occasions I went to a local GameStop to buy a game, and uh, I bought it new, and they put a they, they pulled a copy out of a paper sleeve and like put it into a, a case for me. And I'm just like, do you have that? Do you have that wrapped? Like, do you have that? Like, like, well, it's you know, it's the same thing. It's just for display purposes. I'm like, I'm just going next door. I go to I go to Best Buy, Walmart, whatever. Like yeah, the, like that, that was mind blowing to me when I when I lived in Ireland. That I was the first time that, that happened to me. I went to I think it was a game or a game store. I can't remember. I think yeah. it was game because they went bankrupt while I was there in, in Ireland. <laughs> in not, the not store, while I was in the store. Yeah, they were like, "Excuse me, sir, we've just been laid off." Could you know? Yeah. While I was living there, and um, yeah, it was like this whole. Uh, so all these games cases are open. Yeah, but they're new. I'm like, no, fuck that. Yeah, like, they're not if, new. If, like, see how it's open. A new game yeah. sealed, you know. And it's it's just like a small thing of principle, you know. It, it's not it's, even. Yeah. I don't believe that they've played all those games that right. are, that are they're open. It's just like a thing of like if you're selling me something new, you know. It's like the same thing on eBay. If if if, if I sell something on eBay that's unwrapped, then it's not new. It's not I new. can say as good as new, sure. like as a, as a as a condition. That's that not a new. That, that's not. Yeah, that's not a new concept either. Like that was going on. Indeed, but I mean, yeah. yeah. So so at the at the height, the the way that they would try to combat resale was uh, was as you said, the online pass. And it got famous for a lot of sports games. To try that first, which. Now that you mention it, I'm kind of noticing a trend of sports games try and fuck monetization before before everyone else does. Well, sports fans, you know, are very passionate. That means they're also a very very thankful target audience. To and I think, yeah, monetize. I think they're also, yeah, they, they, there tends to be a little bit more of a, a outside of that Venn diagram of gamer and sports fan. You know, there are people that will buy a Madden machine. You know, in the states, sorry, a FIFA machine in Europe. Perhaps, like, but we all know that That's we all know that dude who's name actually FIFA Machine. FIFA Machine, 
That's I'm, I'm surprised work. that's not a like MMA boxer somehow. But um, but but uh, like 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 yeah, there there are people that will that will only adopt a, a one franchise, and you see those the that's why you see I think you see those hyper popular franchises going for the most outlandish um, monetization is because they're not uh, they're not speaking often to that ingrained community that is used to a sixty dollar price point that is used to not having to pay extra for stuff that is expecting that and that's kind of the question i'm sorry are we still going chronologically because i did have a question i know you can shoot a question perfect like like i think sorry let's go chronologically let's go chronologically all right um because i it's something that we can probably address as Mm -hmm. we go through this because this is like with the with the (laughs) introduction with the introduction of the online pass and like how they're doing that it's i think these this the reactions the negative reactions to monetization are only getting kind of worse online um and i think it it takes a while for those to kind of cool down but um when you look at at some of the monetization where is the line between offering something and something you feel like might be taking advantage of people uh, I guess everybody has their own exactly, their own and, uh, yeah. So, so I mean, that, and that's that's a lot of the reason why we had the disclaimer because like these mm. aren't universal truths. It's just Absolutely. where do we start to feel a little weird about it? And uh, you know, are you going to launch now into a twenty minute tirade about the Everwest store? The the Everwest store is bull. No, um, the the the, the, the Everwest store we can talk about, but uh, for me, that so for for those of you who are are not into Destiny, the Everwest store is where you buy cosmetics from Claudia Black. Um, she she very huskily tells you to to buy sparrows and emotes and all that stuff. Uh, to me, uh, the only criticism I can really levy on that, um, aside from from the bizarre communication choice to hold their live team hostage as if they were like re- refugees or, or it's like for for the price of a sparrow a day, you can make sure that this live team member gets a hot meal and a cot under his desk. Um, aside from that weird kind of communication thing, for me, the only thing that kind of bugs me is if you're buying cosmetic stuff because it's cosmetics are something I care about in games. Like I, I do care about looking cool as a as a space hero. And yet you don't play a warlock. What's and yet I does? don't play a warlock. Well, because you know Hunter's the way. But um, if I can if I can't get cool stuff from the hard experiences or from the the long uh, arduous experiences, then then that really devalues those experiences to me a little bit. Like it, it's rough uh, going through a three-hour dungeon with your best buddy, you know, barely surviving, scraping through, and then one of you gets a ship, the other one gets nothing, but you can buy a cool one from the Eververse. Like, stuff like that uh, is, is, is kind of my only bother there. But that's, oddly enough, not my line for monetization. Like, I, I recognize why they're doing that, um, but to me, it's it just holds less value. I think it, it, it does a slight ding on a product that I've already demonstrated that I'm going to play pretty much regardless. So yeah, um, was the uh, so leaving aside the, the free to play, but on the on the retail thing, the the like the really the first larger scale ideas to monetize post launch because you know that's these days where really a lot of money comes from. Like, is that example, is that your is that your thing? Huh? What like what's your what's your what is your thing that makes you uneasy in monetization? Um. With mobile stuff, I, I I hate energy systems. Okay. Like okay. if if 
if a game says, hey, you know, oh, you run out of energy, you can replenish it by spending money, uh, I will never spend money on that. Yeah. I will, in most cases, just delete the game and say, or even not even start playing a game like that, where I say, like, energy, no, that's for me. Like, the minute that's, you see, you're just like, no, I'm good. Fuck that, yeah. Um, for, uh, for, uh, what else is there? Um, in, in general, like, I, I don't feel comfortable, it feels too greedy in the mm-hmm. sense of, like, all angles, so. Yeah. Um, I think we talked about this briefly before so Call of Duty Black Ops 4 feels mm-hmm. to me like the most heavily monetized game um, it's, the, it was a $60 game yeah an annual franchise right. it had a $50 season pass $50 $50 season pass how much you get in, what, what's in the season pass uh, four four drops you know, like with four new uh, zombie chapters and then like a couple uh, couple um, maps Oh, okay. Like map packs, But there's also there's loot boxes. Okay. There's individual purchases, like of, of digital uh, items. Okay. With via points, via currency. Um, there's also a battle pass now. Oh man! Wow. Uh, and some of the like some of the stuff like some of the real powerful weapons you can only get from loot boxes. Sometimes only from pay, pay, paid stuff. So that's wonderful. I think, um, I think for, so. Yeah, I think that is uh, that game really feels like it tries to cover every lot. single angle of monetization areas. And at a certain point, you know, it's like even even for me. And you say, uh, I am usually in our in our arguments. I take on the part my French the role of the uh, corporate whore. Corporate whore. Is, uh, um, so yeah, that is something where I'm like, bro, that's come on, Bobby. Maybe that's a bit much. He's he's down, Bobby. That's that's a bit much, maybe. You know. Um, personally, I am. Um, and I know that I'm the vast majority, especially when it comes to online discussions, and I don't endear myself to people with saying that. Sure. Um, for myself and my friends, um, uh, loot boxes and Overwatch work really well. Yeah. Uh, I spend money in the loot boxes. My friends get cool. Is that why they work really well? Because you, you spend... <laughs> no, it, it's just the thing is like, I, I play with a bunch of guys that normally are not the kind of guys to, to spend money on DLCs or so. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, map packs, they probably wouldn't spend money on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way, because... Um, because Overwatch is financed through loot boxes, you know all the con- like all the meaningful game content, like uh, new maps, new modes, new heroes are all free. Right. Um, you know we can all keep playing together, and we do that three, four nights a week for a couple, like for an hour or so each. See, so, you know, I mean, um, I guess the only difference is you're. But of course, you know, like uh, I know that I'm. Um, I I spend money. I spend more money on stuff than a lot of people would probably think is reasonable. Sure. It works for me, but at the same time, I'm not susceptible to you know to to um, addiction. Right. So, you know, like, when obviously, when you hear hear things that somebody spent like fourteen, fifteen thousand uh, dollars on on FIFA Ultimate Team packs and like mortgaged their house four times, you're like, right. like perhaps. maybe that's not ideal. Yeah, yeah that's, that's not uh, where you want to be. Uh, generally, I think it is is a very bad idea um, that I would heavily uh, discourage yeah. developers to do. Is um, also in terms of of um, of uh, anti loot box web legislature that we're going to get to in a moment sure. is allowing people to sell the stuff. Like so, for example, what yeah. is like in 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 Overwatch the way it works, you have loot boxes. You know, you get the stuff. Uh, if it's if it's something you didn't have before, cool, it just goes into your collection. If it is something you had before, you get I don't know what's called scrap. Yeah, and then from that scrap you can targetedly buy. Uh, the items you want, like yeah. a skin or something. Uh, so I'm familiar with that. But there's no way to reselling that. For example, like with the Steam Workshop. Right. And that I think like if, if you look at something like CSGO, you know, yeah. which had those big scandals about uh, CSGO gambling and sure. some YouTubers doing very shifty stuff around even, that. Even, um, even uh, Dota has a, had a, had yeah, a pretty yeah, big yeah, gambling scene. So yeah, that is, that is 
and you know at that point it's really hard to argue as a sure. law even as a lawyer to say it's not gambling because you are randomly gonna get something and i mean you know there were times when people spent like what like like a thousand a thousand bucks on a super rare knife in csgo yeah. or some shit that they can then so, that they can then pull money out of yeah you know like yeah so they they get that randomly from a box if they're super lucky and then you can sell it for a thousand bucks yeah so at that point it's, it's probably hard to argue you well, know, it's, it's also it hard to... elements of gambling whereas personally again you know this is my i know a lot of people disagree something like the the boxes in loot in in um, overwatch so i don't for myself feel like it's gambling right because uh to me i think like an essential part of gambling of the, of like you know the 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 kick the adrenaline kick is like the fact that you can lose sure whereas you, you always get something right it may not be the thing you hope for right but you always get something and there's no way to turn it into money whereas with the csgo stuff there's a real chance you can get something that can sell for a lot of money. That is is very very thin. I, 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 I kind of missed I the think. part, but I think there is ways to pull your Steam balance out into actual cash somehow, right? Um, I, I, I mean, know. not I mean, legally, I guess, but yeah, I think I they probably can, figured it out. You could do something like you know, you you buy games as a gift, you sell them to people online for, and yeah. they PayPal me real money. Yeah, or something. yeah, something so like yeah, that. There's probably work. But I mean, I think yeah, I think the so thing you're missing there with the with the gambling thing is like, yeah, I think what they what we'll find as we as we get more into this stuff is that it's not so much uh, about the strict legal definition of gambling, and I think by adhering to the strict legal definition of gambling is how they. They kind of were able to skirt this for so long because gambling is extremely heavily regulated in the states, at least, and I imagine it's it's pretty heavily regulated outside of the states. But um, it's more about the the triggers uh, or the or the things that happen in people as they they gamble. Do you know what I mean? So it's like um, it's not about you know losing or winning a net monetary value. It's like you're see you're you're receiving whatever. Uh, brain chemicals you're getting from seeing the roulette wheel spin and the chance of you uh, winning something rare and monumental is, is is kind of that high that you you aim for and those are the same triggers that you would get even if it was actual money attached instead of the the value of fancy mercy wings like I'm not sure about that but um, I, at least uh, at least I think uh, it's going to be an interesting discussion for that particular aspect of that um, mm. and I'll, I'll kind of save that to, to to tie into where we're going next. So what's what you you were going to tell me? You got the chronolo- You're the master of chronology here. I mean, if we're already on this topic, yeah. Um, so we asked people on on Twitter, like some yeah. of our faithful listeners, if they had any questions, and uh, one of our most faithful listeners, Asia, thank you, uh, Asia. had a question. Uh, you know, like, do we think that the industry will will be able, like, will self regulate all the topics around loot boxes and gambling in time? Or is it already? Or like, are governments going to come in and and you know, do something like elephant in in the porcelain store? Yeah, um, and of course, on that topic, I have to. I, I want to give like our the first time we ever give out an award on the projectile lunchcast. Oh, we have an award. Yes, I want to give out the projectile uh, lunchcast uh, special award for not reading the room 2019 uh, to whoever made that trailer for NBA 2K19 2K20. The, like specifically in this day and age while your ceo tells people hey you know our our loot boxes are not gambling and then making a trailer that is all about showing all the different Literal ways you can gamble in your, in your, in your basketball apparatus game. 
That's like that's like the most tone deaf thing I've seen in a long time. It's that was really that was fantastic. fantastic. It's yeah. really great. The first time I saw it, I was like, "Is this from Hard Drive or something? You know, is this this, this it, is it, jokes?" It's like surely. it's like look, these are all uh, surprise mechanics and they're quite ethical. And you smash cut to a dude praying at a wheel of fortune. Like it's not even it's not even. Uh, it's not even an allegory at that point. Like, there's no. Well, seriously, that that tri- I, I don't know. I I would love to have been a fly in those meetings, both before they were like, like when they conceptualized, yeah. and afterwards when they saw the reactions. Because seriously, like that that is incredibly tone deaf. Everybody's talking about like, hey, is our loot boxes? Is this gambling? Does it does is it a a slippery slope, a pathway to bring kids to gambling? And then you're like. So yeah, here's our sports game, obviously, which has a super low rating, right? Because it's a sports game. <laughs> and here's all the ways you can gamble. Like you can go to Vegas and do all these things. Congratulations! Like what the? F- I'd fuck? I'd really like to see them uh, do some like newspeak uh, corporate wide instead of like because they have very real gambling in their games. But like they should just replace all functional uh, uses of the word gambling with surprise mechanics. And it's like, and here's the places you can go to surprise mechanic. Uh, over here, we've got the wheel of surprise mechanic, and then you can also roll some dice in the corner of the Las alley. Vegas, the capital, the world capital of surprise, surprise mechanic. mechanic. Talk to anybody living in the tunnels under Las Vegas in NBA 2K. <laughs> Seriously, that's that was crazy. So, <laughs> that's the what, next. So, so that's to the get next back single to the question, player you know, what, what's, what's your what's your take on the whole? Uh, you know, like, uh, is is it too late for the industry to self-regulate? Will it's, the industry self-regulate? It's it? really looking like that for for a number of reasons, and. Um, and I'll get into them. not because uh, I mean, the catalyst was Battlefront Two, right? That was like really that was like really the point, right? It, it was it was first. Well, it was, no, I mean, that summer it was it within wasn't. with two months. There was first Shadows of Mordor. I think uh, Shadows of War was the second one, yeah. where you could buy like, hey, you know, we're making this faithful, allegedly, yeah. allegedly faithful Tolkien thing. Allegedly faithful. Sexy Shelob. Here you go to the shop and you buy all these cool org homes to hang out with, but it's random because it's loot box and people were like. Yeah. I'm not sure this is what you know, this is not what Tolkien died for. Me and Hot Shelob are hanging out with our orc buddies, and that's the most faithful thing since the Semerillion. Yeah, and there was that thing, and then shortly afterwards, EA was again reading the room, was like, "So you know, Star Wars is big with kids, and this game is super paid to." And you know, I, I'm, yeah. as you know, I'm a corporate apologist. Yeah. I'm especially whore, I'm please. an EA apologist because I worked for them twice. You know, they got me started in Korea, so I'm 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 bound to cut EA a lot of slack. Yeah, but you think? But they're... that game was pretty pay to win. And they also that felt pretty paid to win at that time. Afterwards, like now, it's it's a fantastic game. I would highly recommend it to anybody because they ripped all they of changed, that they shit ripped out. It, they just gutted it, didn't they? In, they in they completely War, right? gutted yeah. that that whole system. Like yeah. these days, uh, it's just like you know cosmetic stuff. Like you can buy skins mm-hmm. um, for your favorite Star Wars heroes. But yeah, back then, I think uh, to me, maybe you disagree. I think uh, Battlefront Two and the fact there was a kids that was the boiling point. Like there was a lot of mainstream coverage, like in the UK, like BBC, also talking about this. Hey, yeah. there's this game that's forcing kids to spend money on a gambly thing sure and like i think really that was uh, that was and the thing where probably also disney which are by no means you know strangers to heavily monetizing kids right um felt like yeah we're cool with like you taking all the money from the kids but not if there's bad press right yeah it, it's the backlash that comes with it and i'm not sure because you, you do have to look at this from a couple of stages right there's the the american stage which is hitting Hitting just the games that you're talking about and a few other practices, but I mean, also look at the the kind of uh, international stage as well with uh, oh, the gacha stuff in Asia. Gacha stuff in Asia, maybe. Uh, I was thinking more along the lines of um, I forgot the company. Is it is it Brussels and Overwatch? That's not a cut. That's a Belgium. Be- yeah, sorry, Belgium. <laughs> 
our apologies to the people sorry, of Brussels. Sorry for all our Brussels listeners. All your muscles are my favorite. Um, no, I mean, I, I think that was the thing with uh, with Belgium and Overwatch. With uh, recently a little but more... But that was afterwards. That was a result of Battlefront. That was a result of... That, that came after Battlefront? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why regulate a different game? Because it was popular and it makes points? Um, no, well, you know, Battlefront removed that stuff. And, yeah. and so the Blizzard games yeah, in Belgium, I think they all just removed like like Heroes of the Storm. So there's no like, hey, there's no loot boxes, which is bad because in Heroes of the Storm, that the um, the loot boxes are a core part of the progression, right? Like yeah. you you progress um, by earning new cosmetic stuff, and like a lot of that stuff is now missing. But then again, right. you know, the problem is that Belgium is such a small market that it's fairly for, for a company, it's easier to say, well, fuck Belgium, rather than yeah. than um, make deep changes to the game which take months of development but I think I think you risk the, the more stuff like that happens and I, I think you know you also just saw it very very recently with uh, with Steam in France as well where they just ruled that uh, that um, Steam customers need to be able to resell their games um, and they're you know right now they're they're imposing fines but their fines are are, are laughable really laughable so what, like 3,000 euros a day 3,000 euros a day for up to six months that's probably like, you know like Gabe Newell like when when he just like puts on his shoes like probably 3,000 euros fallout randomly. Exactly, yeah. He, he picks one of the random uh, incredibly valuable knives off his desk and he says, mm, this one, and just tosses it on the floor <laughs> of the French courthouse and then they scramble after it. But uh, but no, I think I think an interesting thread to look at, and I know we've mentioned it a little, but it does tie together a lot of the topics we've been talking about, is, uh, is the ESA. Um, I'm not sure for our listeners how familiar people are with the ESA or what they do. Uh, and I'm sure you 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 are aware of what the ESA does and who they are and all that stuff. I'm sure all game journalists are very aware of them these days. Very aware of them. Um, so the ESA or Entertainment Software Association uh, started very toastily with uh, with Mortal Kombat. Um, so, these, so these guys these guys are a lobbying group essentially. Like if I if I boil it down to words, right? The uh, the ESA is a is a lobbying group that is there to support uh, to support video games. Um, there's like 42 companies, like major gaming companies, that are members in that. Yeah, um, so yeah. Almost all the big names, right? Almost all the big names. So the ESA does a couple of things that that you have heard of. One of them is the ESRB, or I think Entertainment Services Ratings Board. Entertainment Software Ratings Board, yeah, Entertainment Software Ratings Board, which is self-regulatory, right? Which is self-regulatory, and that—that's—that's that's the crux of what Asia was talking about: um, industry self-regulation. So, less so in a lot of places in Europe uh, than in the States. Um, the games industry self-regulates with the ESRB, which is run by the ESA. So they propose a rating scale. All these games apply apply for a rating. Um, it is. It is a pretty easy process. I've done it a couple times for a couple different games, um, and this is this is mostly on physical. Uh, currently, the reason that this is yeah, mostly you, for for a for a purely digital release, you don't need an ESRB rating. Exactly, you don't need one, and uh, they don't require one. And I think it's I think it's a lot because of the leverage is gone, right? So the only reason that I would think if we're being if I'm being anti corporate whore, you know, if I'm being uh, if I'm being a consumer uh, advocate, is that um, the ESA uh, works with Major retailers, which were the the ways to get games back then, and said, and said, all right, we're not going to stock games that come in over a a M rating. So that's a sixteen in the states. We have eighteen as that as that threshold in Europe, but in the states it's sixteen. So anything. It, it, it was so funny to me on yeah. that point, like earlier this year when Modern Warfare was re- revealed, right? 
and uh, there was a, a British YouTuber and he was like, oh my god, guys, like this game is so gory, like so hardcore, I would not be surprised if it gets an adult on the radio. I'm like, yeah. you're fucking retarded. Uh, yeah, nobody's going like, to get why? it. Like, it's so hardcore, like, because no no retailer in the US will stock something that's adults only. Absolutely. Right? Nobody does that. Because, so, you know, obviously, it's super funny anyways. And that's probably one of the reasons why the topic of sexuality or so in the games is so rarely seen. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, American retailers like Walmart, are, oh, oh the, the church moms won't like this. Uh, sure. We're not going to stock this. Sure. So. And that, but, but the, that, that does snowball. So, I mean, when, when they find out that, uh, that stores aren't going to stock an AO game... Uh, exactly. Console manufacturers are not going to allow an AL game on their exactly. on their they, platforms. They, they, they have a policy that as well because you know you don't want to ha- you don't want to have... sell it on Steam essentially. If depending on which you know which way the coin at the valve flip, flips these days, right. because uh, even still they say like, hey, we're fine with all contents. They, they still regularly refuse uh, sexual content or LGBT content. So you know it's still it's still a, a gamble of like we will, could do AL, uh, will sorry will valve allow it or not? Yeah, we we could do a a whole weird thing on how Valve regulates its store and how that's fucking bizarre. But it is shockingly easy to ESRB rate your game on Valve's platform. Mm-hmm. Like there is there's a place for it in the Steam page. Yeah, yeah. That you can set up. Uh, getting an online rating is an automated process. Like you fill out a survey, they send you the materials, they send you a little kit with. Yeah, you uh, say like, "This is how bad our games are." Right, right, and 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 all that stuff. I mean, to their to their defense, they can't possibly regulate. So so um, these days, especially. I mean, like what's like this? Like like two hundred games coming out on the Apple Store or something a week, sure. or stuff like sure, that sure. on on Steam. You know, it's, it's impossible these days to review everything fully, right? Right. So for bigger games, they do take a look. There yeah, is there is a little bit of a process, um, but for 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 smaller titles, uh, especially digitally only. It's it's down to regulation. If they get reports, they can they can theoretically require you to change your your rating, um, and that 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 does happen from time to time. Um, but uh, you know, if anybody wants a decent idea of how that looks when it goes wrong, you look at uh, San Andreas, you look at Hot Coffee, and what happened where they they had to pull physically pull stock yep. off the shelves. Really repress those discs, uh, you know, after that thing was... Manhunt 2 was changed because yeah. originally it was supposed to get an AO rating yeah. and also the retailer set up in the way. Yeah, so. I mean, but this is... yeah. So, so like, the, these things carry weight. And so, for, for a long time, the ESA was that big uh, industry regulatory stick that would make sure that, that, that game companies didn't do this stuff. And recently, they, they've said something uh, kind of along the lines of... Hey, we're gonna have talk to console manufacturers about uh, about loot boxes and and, yeah, yeah. and that sort of thing. But the the thing that you guys look into uh, at home, and I'll, I'll touch on it very briefly. But uh, there's already at least one excellent write up by uh, Brian Crescente. Is that how you say? I assume yeah. Yeah, Brian Crescente wrote a a really great article about what's going on with the ESA this last year. But they are in deep turmoil. There's trouble. There's trouble in the ESA. So and that was um, before they accidentally doxed every single journalist and influencer who attended E3. Yeah, yeah. Before they accidentally um, uh, wrote wrote a uh, a awesome pitch deck about cutainment. But um. But uh, so so. So what uh, what what happened was there. I mean, I don't, I don't not even need to get into the specifics, but there was a. A long period of ineffectiveness due to uh, leadership issues. They recently changed leadership. They hired a new general counsel. A lot of people are kind of stepping up. So for the time where loot boxes were catching the most heat, yeah. for a time where industry self-regulation could have been a thing, like it's like, hey, the the ESA has announced like we're fucking putting boot and ass over this. 
Like if you if you if if you have a pipe that you have to massage to get uh, Princess Peach out of in a Mario game, we are going to come down on you. Like that that time may have passed. You know, um, yeah. they they do survey their members every year about what 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 uh, they think of the ESA. Like the the member companies do yeah, that. The, the thing is also you know, at the end of the day, it's it's a lobby group, right? Like yeah. it's there to serve the interests of the industry, and obviously. The industry at large, and specifically some players, you know, live off of stuff like loot boxes right. these days. So that's always a question. Like, so it, what what balance do you find of, you know, like how how far can we go essentially as it comes down to right? How far can we push this envelope before legislation comes? Well, no, that, that's the point. And that's I mean, the I, question, think, right? I think I think that's Is the that thing. point passed. Yeah, uh, that that's what I also worry about. I mean, because they did the the ESRB was a bit of a masterstroke, right? Because all it was was standing behind the the idea that you as a consumer uh, should be able to pick up a game and be informed of its content so that you can make your own purchase. You're not going to get surprised by Johnny Cage ripping somebody's head off. Uh, Sub Zero did that, but it doesn't matter. Um, like you would you would know that, and I think I think they they're trying the same kind of flute with with loot boxes, but it does seem a little a little half half-hearted because I think of a lot of this. Now you look at you look at the ESA and let me tie this back to our episode GamesCon. Where does Fantastic. Where does half of the budget for the ESA come from? Trucks? Drugs. No, Marcel. No. There was a guess. We've discussed this. No. Um it is uh, E3 attendance. Oh. Okay, well, that's well. Let's assume. Yeah, uh, they they get about uh, they get about thirty percent from member dues, and then uh, and then other nonprofit stuff. You can there there are nonprofits. So you can check their taxes. They have to disclose their budget and all that stuff. But uh, the chunk of that comes from E three attendance. How's E three attendance been doing lately? Yeah, that's that's a whole different topic as well. Yeah. But so I mean, but, but what I'm saying is like the yeah. the, the survey goes out. Uh, the the member companies are are kind of turning in concerns that. The ESA just doesn't have the teeth anymore. It's being very quiet about this stuff. And I think what they needed, I mean, hopefully, maybe there's still time, but what they needed was that, look, if you're going to put loot boxes in, um, there, there's got to be a, a, a better answer. I'm not sure if it's just saying the odds. I don't think that helps anybody. Illegally in some countries, that's all it takes right now. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, this is this is the point. Which so, is for so, example, like interest, like, like if you look at like, you know, physical packs of matching together in cards. Yeah. Like in Germany, they don't because it's not required. In some yeah. countries, they give the odds of like how likely are you to get like a mythic rare card. Or Absolutely, but I'm I'm saying that I think that they need to do something smarter than just legally toe the line. I mean, this is when you get into politics, it's very much about image. It's very much about about uh, how how politicians are going to be able to sell their platforms and uh, help their constituents. And like they need to be able to say that some action is being taken. And I don't think it's just like, hey, look, we told your kid that he only had a point zero zero one chance. To get that uh, that mythical mount, why are you still spending money on it? You know, it's got to be something along that ESRB where you can say, look, this this has this has gambling or it has this sort of thing, or or you even spin it around and say, hey, this is how we teach your kid that the world's unfair and economics suck. <laughs> it's educational now. It's educational yeah. surprise mechanics. It's like go ahead and and get used to as a parent safeguarding your jewelry so your kid doesn't sell it for V bucks, like um, stuff like that. So I, I mean. I don't know if we're past the point of no return because issues do tend to resurge or blow over or or um, or just kind of puff out, you know. So like, uh, I think I think we still have a little bit more time, um, and I think a lot of people are just kind of waiting to see how it goes, how many games are going to do the thing because like, 
NBA just came out. Uh, yeah. After they've already learned their supposed lesson about uh, about loot mechanics and, and how this works, I mean they're still doing uh, Ultimate Team. They're still doing I, evolving. I think you, you are seeing a like a uh, a soft self regulation on a game by game basis. For example, Microsoft um, earlier this gen they did a lot of loot box stuff, like in Forza games, in Gears, and Halo Five. And now with uh, Gears 5, there's no loot boxes. It's all paid, direct, directly paid cosmetics that you know what exactly what you want to buy, how much it is, and you get that. Uh, you see that in uh, in some other games, you know, like with, with Destiny, like, you know, they, they, yeah. they're moving to, to just like exactly purchasing what you want. So I think a lot of games are move, moving away. And maybe, you know, before we finish this episode, because we're running out of time, um, you know, it feels like one of the biggest reactions, or, or like um, maybe not directly, but like indirectly, at a lot of it's the battle pass now, right? Yeah. Like a lot of a lot of games are now going, hey, how can we get around the idea of you know a loot box? How can we sell smaller cosmetic things without the loot box, without the stigma attached of loot boxes? And uh, the battle pass, you know, it, it seems uh, like a really good idea. It's, it's interesting that you support you a battle to, pass. To you me. get to why is that? Because it is an energy system. It's. I disagree. It's like you can pay now, or you can play a bunch, and you know maybe get it yourself. I get now. You know what, man? You know, I guess. I guess for you, the, the point of an energy system is that it cold. It cold cuts you, you off of activity. Exactly. You can't exactly. grind for something. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that makes a little more a little more sense. But um, but yeah, like like they need to position themselves in a fair place like that, where it's where they're not able to. Say something like, "I guess the I guess the the cards weren't in your favor tonight, milady. Uh, here's your here's your barrel that is now your clothes because we took everything else. Fuck off, you know. It is like, look, you can get all the same great stuff that these guys are getting. Uh, you just need to put the time in. And I think I think valuing the people that play, uh, I think having a community of players is such a huge commodity to a lot of games. You know, especially anything with a with a PvP element." Like having a a pool of people to fight against is is a major thing, you know. So you have to kind of approach those players as well. I really miss Basti when we talk about the community. community. The community feel That's better, our, feel our, better, Basti. Um, I mean, yeah, it's in a way it's genius mm-hmm. because um, also these days, if you look at financial reports, like more and more companies, they don't sell, they don't, you know, reveal exact sold units anymore mm-hmm. it's more like you know active players concurrent players you know engagement right mm-hmm. engagement is the metric yeah. that that really makes the industry tick these days mm-hmm. and of course with battle pass people buy pay you but they're still forced to play the game right they, yeah. like you still drive that engagement of like people coming back ideally every day to play to you know earn the next level or something on that battle pass mm-hmm. so i think in a way you know it, it is even if, for, for so sure you you will attract or you're like there is less money to spend for the whales mm-hmm. to to use that very derogatory sounding term um, because like if if somebody just buys the battle pass even if they then afterwards buy every single level yeah. of that battle pass you know there's like a hard like cap of this right. how much they can spend right which you know like uh, when you hear these stories about people like spending thousands. Yeah, um, you're not going to get that. Yeah, but of course, um, with the battle pass, I would without knowing because I haven't worked on a game with the battle pass myself yet. I would assume more people buy the battle pass than are heavy whales. You know, like, sure. like there's a higher percentage. Sure, and you force these people to play the game. Right? Yeah, you, know, yeah. like you drive that engagement, and again, all all that comes with that. You yeah. know, when people see, hey, this game is super active. All these people are playing with each new content drop. It, it feels like really like it's a, it's a stroke of genius to me. The battle pass. The only question is. 
how can you translate that to every kind of genre, right? You know, because right now we mostly see it in shooters, sure, where it makes sense. You just unlock new cosmetic stuff. Mobas, it makes ton of stuff. It makes ton of sense. Makes ton of stuff and sense. What? What? what oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the inventor yeah, 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 of the yeah, battle yeah, yeah, pass, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 Um, um, but yeah, like the concept of rewarding time and and maybe cash could yeah. be a smarter thing. It's it's it feels like a very smart thing. I think it's just going to be a question of how you can adapt that to different genres and type of games, yeah. maybe. Uh, but then again, you like it's the same. It was the same thing with loot boxes or whatever. Like you sure. know, certain genres, it, it's just harder to monetize post-launch. I think I think the next struggle that, that they're going to get into is is my kind of pet peeve that we never we never got to. When we were discussing it a minute ago, but it it fits pretty perfectly here. Is like this this kind of multi-layered monetization thing, mm. and I hate like, to, like ops. Like 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 Black Ops. No, I mean for the Black Ops is all that one thing. For me, it would be something like, um, and I hate to drag these guys under the bus because I've done it enough. But playing Anthem. Oh come on. I know, poor Anthem. But it was like it's a game that I spent more to pre-order to play early, and then also it had um, my microtransactions. Also, it was monetized. So like, I'm not even getting hit by the same company anymore. Like, uh, I'm paying to make sure that I have the premium fast-track pass to play early pass. Then I need to buy the, the, the pre-order bonus to get that part, to get, you know. Um, I think I think that's something that they'll have to hopefully homogenize as well. And I, I do think it's mostly mostly okay. Uh, it, it doesn't jive with me personally, but if people are into pre-ordering stuff and haven't learned their lesson like I have, I need to have my lesson reminded to me every every once every few years. Um, I'm totally ready to pre-order Dragon Age 4. Yeah, I know. They're, yeah, they're, what a track record. These guys are going to be stellar. Ah, they're going to be fine. Uh, I talk shit, but they're going to be fine. But um, I think uh, I think now is the time to really, as 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 a consumer, look at at what your games are doing. Wait a minute, see if they're valuing your time or your money. <laughs> like, see if uh, see if that value proposition there. That advice will never change uh, for me. But. Um, Hopefully, with more more Xbox Game Pass or whatever, what's it called? That's what it's called, right? Uh, Xbox Game Pass. Yeah. Xbox Games Pass with with more Apple arcades. There is a little bit more homogenous monetization there. Maybe that's maybe that's the umbrella they need. But as always, young kids, watch out. Watch what you're buying. Watch what they want you to buy. Buy from insert my current or future uh, employer at this point. <laughs> <laughs> buy from sponsored product. Uh, you can check on my link whenever you're listening to this you can check on my LinkedIn who are my Twitter who I'm working for at the time please buy from yeah, them buy that from would them. be super yes, appreciated they're, they're trustworthy they're, those can, are the good guys confidence. okay Absolutely, yeah. those those guys are the good ones yeah All so right. uh, I think that brings us to the end of the very first episode of the projectile what do we call it fireside, fireside chat, chat. projectile fireside chat so cozy well, thank you, Richard. It was a pleasure having you here. Uh, it was a pleasure you're being anti-social, so true. there's no social media for you to plug. But no, I love when you come up with a different name. What's, what's, this, what, I don't come up with these are my actual Twitter. Twitters. Where can people find you on Twitter to talk to you about this? As episode? always, you can find me at unlimitedvbooks, Gabe's Knives, at twitter.com. That's an email address. What? No, that's, my, that's, that's a good my, segue. Yeah, like, if you Twitter. want to talk to us uh, and have feedback on this episode or think that maybe we should bring Busty back, assuming he survives being a <laughs> fungus person, um, you can drop us an email at projectilelunchcast at gmail.com. And uh, to check which company is absolutely trustworthy and whom you should spend your money Finest on, company. go to Twitter at com underscore raven. Look who my employer is. Give those people money. <laughs> I have cats. They're hungry and super adorbs. <laughs> the live team of cats needs to be fed. Yes. They're called Jamie and Tyrion. Oh, God. 
They're into foods and attractive sisters. <laughs> this was a great episode. Thank you so much. We're looking forward to being listened to by you next week Thursday. Goodbye. Todd Howard monetized wrong. No. We be old school. Yeah, old school. We be old school. Yeah, old school. Been getting that money for a girl, sweet honey. Got me some roses and a little bling. I knocked on her door.